Welcome to Impact AI, the podcast for startups who want to create a better future through the use of machine learning. I'm your host, Heather Couture. Today I'm joined by guest Emmy Gell, co-founder and CEO of Ezra, to talk about early detection of cancer. Emmy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Emmy, could you share a bit about your background and how that led you to create Ezra? For sure. Yeah, I'm um, originally from Romania. I, uh, I studied computer science and uh, applied mathematics in Bucharest. And um, while I was in uh, college, I actually started a, a company in a very different space than Ezra. It was a tech company uh, building uh, video ad serving solutions. That company did uh, pretty well. And so uh, fast forward a few years, uh, I started volunteering for a nonprofit in Romania uh, that builds hospices that care for cancer patients. And um, uh, they're called Hospice of Hope. And um, I was helping them build a new hospice. And in being involved with them, I uh, learned that one of the main reasons why people end up in a hospice because of cancer is because they found cancer late. And I became very interested in, in that because I have cancer in my family. I'm personally at high risk for cancer. Uh, my mother sadly passed away from cancer, so I kind of um, wanted to dig a little bit deeper into the space. And um, started looking at the data, very quickly realized that um, the main reason people end up in a hospice is because they found cancer late. And the main reason we find cancer late is because there's no way to screen for cancer everywhere in the body that's fast, accurate, and affordable. And that was kind of the problem that I set out to solve with Ezra, and uh, this is back in 2016. And, um, you know, we've been working on it for a few years now. So what all does Ezra do? And why is this important for fighting cancer? Yeah, so what we have done is we've created a new way to screen for cancer everywhere in the body um, that uses a full body MRI powered by a suite of technology and tools and AIs to make MRIs uh, faster, more affordable. Um, what what we've developed is this very unique scanning protocol that takes about 60 minutes that uh, screens for cancer in 13 organs and is very complementary to all of the existing standard care screening procedures, such as a mammogram or a colonoscopy and so on. And what we've been able to achieve is essentially reduce the uh, the cost and, and the time in a scanner of an MRI from about two to three hours for a full body to 60 minutes. And um, we're actually working on a, on a new AI that will roll out next year that will reduce the scan time to 30 minutes. And our, our goal is to keep pushing the boundary on um, uh, technology and AIs in order to essentially increase access to full body cancer screening by reducing the cost. So how does machine learning play in this? You, you mentioned it reduced the cost, it makes the, the scan more efficient, but how does it do that? Yeah, so we, uh, when we look at the NESRA scan, and when you look at a, any MRI scan or any imaging exam, uh, there are three cost centers, so to speak. There is the scan itself, in, in, in our case, MRI. There is the interpretation of the scan, so the radiologist's time that um, uh, is invested in analyzing the scan. And then there is the, I guess, physician who is not the radiologist, but is your primary care physician or 
specialist physician who needs to take the radiology report and kind of translate it into layman terms so that anyone can understand it. What we do at Ezra is we build AIs across all three of those areas in order to uh, make those respective physicians or make the scan faster so that we reduce the cost. We started with a prostate AI that uh, I believe was the first ever prostate AI to receive FDA clearance or FDA FDA clearance uh, back, maybe this was in 2019. And what our prostate AI did is it helped radiologists, prostate uh, radio body radiologists who read prostate MRI scans be faster in their analysis by automating a number of the things that they have to do on every single prostate MRI exam that are time consuming. For example, measuring the volume of the prostate, segmenting the prostate if, they're, uh, if, if there's a lesion, generally that lesion needs to be biopsied or tracked over time. So you need to segment the prostate gland and then you need to segment the lesion within the prostate gland. Uh, segmenting, you know, for, for our purposes means like drawing a border around the prostate and the lesion. RAI does that automatically, which much with much higher accuracy than than radiologists would. And we actually published a paper on it. So that was the first AI we built um, that helped radiologists essentially be faster. Then we went and said, okay, what 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 are the other areas where our team spends a lot of time, or where there's a big cost that we can uh, save using technology, and we realized that we were spending about an hour and a half per radiology report to translate it into layman terms. And so we built something we called Ezra Reporter that takes any radiology report, uses machine learning to translate the radiology report into lay terms, uh, and then present that to members. And then finally, we went into um, acquiring MRI scans faster, which increases the noise, creates imaging artifacts and so on. And uh, what we do is we use machine learning to reduce that noise and remove the artifacts. And I, I know that was kind of a, a long answer that, that we kind of, we build a lot of tech across the entire spectrum of screening. And I'm, I'm happy to kind of dive into any of these areas the deeper. So you're able to shorten the length of the scan. It just has the side effect of noise. So how do you deal with the noise then? Yeah, that's that's actually exactly what the AI does. So in MRI, you're, we're essentially using the magnetic resonance of the protons in the water into the body to create internal images of the body. Um, because we're using magnetic resonance, inherently the modality is very noisy. And so in typical MRI scans, what you do is you acquire the scan multiple times in order to uh, average out the noise because noise will always be random, the signal will always be the same. And so by doing the scan multiple times, you can average out the noise. Now, that means that you do need to take every single sequence and do it multiple times so that you have enough data so that you know what uh, what, what uh, signal looks like. What we do is we acquire the scan fewer times, and then we've built machine learning models that recognize what noise looks like and then just remove that noise. Um, and then we kind of expanded that from not just noise, but you know, if you acquire scans with lower resolution, we can uh, the resulting images are a little blurry, so we can sharpen them. If you acquire scans that use a, a concept of parallel imaging in MRI, you might yield these 
imaging artifacts that look kind of like these kind of, I guess, uh, rainbows over the the, the image, um, not in color, but, uh, you know, uh, kind of white artifacts on a darker image. And we, we've trained machine learning models to be able to remove those artifacts without removing any underlying pathology. And so uh, our, our focus on the scanning front is to <clears throat> reduce the uh, scan time, which yields these uh, images with increased noise, artifacts, and so on, and then use machine learning to enhance these images so that a radiologist can then use them for interpretation. How do you train that type of model? Is it taking noisy images or images from artifacts and having a parallel image that's clean, or is there some other way to train that type of model? Yeah, so basically that that is it. It's it's having a large data set of noisy images um, and the equivalent non-noisy image for that particular study, training on that, and then um, ensuring that uh, both in the training and validation data sets, you have uh, one, a good re representation of, of the intended population, but two, a good representation of potential pathology, pathologies you might find in that population. And I would say that in what we do at Ezra, it is most of the um, competitive advantage that we have and most of the, the, the main reason why we've been successful in what we do is because we have a large data set of uh, uh, members of images that we can use to train these AIs, which is kind of, I think, the limiting factor in uh, medical imaging related AIs. So what other types of challenges do you encounter in working with MR images? Yeah, so by far the biggest um, effort that needs to be undertaken is um, the validation data set. You know, if, if you're trying to offer a full body data, uh, a full body MRI that takes 30 minutes, that is powered by AI, uh, and you want FDA clearance for that AI, obviously you need to go and you need to show that you have validated that the AI works in almost any situation that might be encountered in real life. And that means across all different MRI vendors, that means across um, you know, your intended population, a good distribution of male versus female and minorities and so on, a good distribution of pathologies. So you want to be able to uh, to show that the AI performs well in, in any conditions uh, within the intended use. And so I think that's the biggest challenge generally, and that's certainly been the biggest challenge for us because we had to go and you know acquire all of these uh, prospective uh, images in order to just validate that the AI works. So you mentioned you know, different scanner manufacturers and a diverse set of patients. To ensure your models work across that diversity, is it really about the training data or are there algorithmic changes that you do to, to um, accommodate for that diversity? It's training data. It's, it's really just making sure that both in training as well as in validation, you have a well-distributed data set across all of those different uh, criteria that you've chosen. How does the regulatory process affect the way you develop machine learning models? 
Yeah, I mean, it's I actually uh, oddly maybe I'm I'm a big fan of the uh, regulatory process that you need to go through in order to get a, any kind of kind of medical related AI in production, and that's because it creates a, it creates a forcing function from day one to pay attention to all of the important things because you know you're going to have to submit these things to the FDA and. Um, we have found at Ezra that the FDA actually has some really, really good people reviewing uh, these applications and providing very kind of close guidance as to what um, might be necessary to uh, to add. I'll give you a very specific example. In our prostate AI submission, which is our first FDA uh, clearance, we, we uh, submitted and then the FDA came to us pointing out that our data set was skewed more towards Siemens machines than uh, GE machines. And, and that's because we had started, the facilities we had started with initially were Siemens facilities that had Siemens machines, and so we didn't have as much GE data. So we actually had to go and we had to acquire more GE data in order to balance the data set. So I think what uh, what having to receive FDA clearance for AI does is it really forces the company from day one to think about what are all of the things that might influence the performance of said AI and what can we do to ensure that we maximize the chances of success. Um, and then obviously there's a, there's a um, lengthy process for validating and for ensuring that um, the data that you submit is uh, uh, is reflective of the potential performance of the AI in production. When validating models like that, of course, it's best to have a diverse validation set up front that covers an external cohort of patients and all the different scanning manufacturers, like you said. But do you ever, in validating your models, discover something new subset of patients or some subset of the population that the model doesn't work as well for and if so what do you do about it you know that's a great question heather and i i, I actually have very specific experience with that um and i can't kind of go too much into detail because we're currently in the regulatory process for one of our AIs. um but we we have had an instance when we um, had to go back to the drawing board and build the model again because we failed internal validation prior to formal validation that we had to submit to the FDA. And so, um, unfortunately, it does happen in, in um, machine learning that you start with a hypothesis as to, you know, what uh, architecture might be good for a particular type of problem that you're trying to solve and you go through the motions of of training and maybe you even you know it works well on on some of your testing set and then when you go to your you know out of sample set to really see how the ai does it it fails across all measures <laughs> and this sadly happened to us at ezra um internally when we were training one of our AIs and we literally had to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, um, clearly we started from the um, wrong 
assumptions as to what might work, um, we now have to start from scratch. And that's what we did. We, we, we started from scratch, um, new model, new data set, uh, new validation set, um, new, uh, in our case, even for that particular project, new team members. And then, um, you know, it took us a good few months to get to something that ended up having very good results and then we could move forward with. So I guess the takeaway there is that there's a, there are many unknowns when you're starting on a project that, uh, you know, has not been attempted before and the initial hypothesis might be wrong. And um, when that happens, you just need to go back to the drawing board. And I imagine that when that happens, sometimes it means you're cycling back to the beginning. In other cases, maybe it was the fact that a particular type of artifact is in your training data that you didn't realize that's influencing results. And so some extra data cleaning might solve the problem. And so the, the iteration is, is somewhat simpler, but still Absolutely. requires a lot of validation. Yeah. Yeah, and those are fine. You know that happens. You know day in day out when you're training machine learning models and you're you're learning more stuff about your data as you're training, and then you kind of um, make changes and um, updates to the um, data processing pipeline. It's um, it's more unfortunate when you've done all of the data processing correctly. Data seems to be fine and so on. You need you. It leads to results that are not satisfactory, and then you really need to go back to the drawing board and, and challenge all assumptions. Um, and and um, it's a hard thing to do, but at least at Azure, we believe it's an important thing to do because we want these AIs to perform well once they're shipped in the wild. And so uh, if that means we need to eat up another kind of three, four, five, six months of uh, R&D work, it is what it is. Yeah, and machine learning is very experimental and every data set's different. So this definitely happens and it happens to every company a hundred percent you know i've uh i've actually myself acted as the cto of ezra for the past uh six months so i've had a very very close look at the day-to-day -day process of of building these ais and i finally understand why it's more uh it's considered more you know art than science in some respects especially when it comes to uh, unsupervised learning so how do you ensure that the technology your team develops will fit in with the clinical workflow and provide the right kind of assistance to patients in, in detecting cancer early? That's a great question. So what, what we do at Ezra is we actually always start backwards from, um, from the ultimate goal that we have. So, you know, for our Ezra reporter, which was our, uh, is our AI that takes radiology reports and converts them into Ezra reports that are essentially late-term translation of the radiology reports, we, the kind of goal that we were trying to um, achieve was to reduce the time that it took our physicians to um, uh, convert a radiology report into an Ezra report. Before Ezra Reporter, they used to spend about 19 minutes per report. They now spend 15 minutes. And so I think the way you ensure that the technology we develop fits the clinical workflow is actually not starting with the technology, but starting with the end goal in mind. And then figuring out what you need to do in order to um, achieve that goal. For Ezra Reporter, the solution ended up being not just AI to 
take radiology snippets and and provide the translations that the um, uh, physician team can then approve. But it was also a lot of UX work being building up essentially a report generation tool that um, that bakes in the machine learning insights that makes the clinical workflow much easier. And so um, we took a very kind of methodical approach of interviewing our medical team, shadowing our medical team, figuring out what the biggest pain points were, and then kind of constantly iterating both on machine learning as well as UX in order to make their workflow better. So I guess starting from the end goal is kind of the better approach to uh, deciding what needs to be built as opposed to starting from, oh, we have a new type of architecture and let's just see how we fit that to some clinical workflow need. Is there any advice you could offer to other leaders of AI-powered startups? Well, if, I can only speak from the perspective of AI in medical uh, medical sphere. And I think the, the two biggest pieces of advice in um, AI startups that are focused on the medical uh, space is one, most success will come from the quality of the data set. And so most focus most of the focus initially should go into building, curating, buying, figuring out how you're going to have the best data set. And two, because of this need to have kind of regulatory oversight over these AIs, um, everything takes longer than you expect it will. And, you know, um, Ezra has been around since, um, since 2018, and you know other companies can ship AIs um, every month, every quarter, you know, multiple times a year. We've been able to ship, you know, basically one AI a year, more or less, um, because of this need to ensure everything is properly tested, validated, and, and um, cleared by the FDA. Finally, where do you see the impact of Ezra in three to five years? Our mission as a company is to detect cancer early for everyone in the world. If you look at what that means, about uh, 10 million people every year globally find cancer late. And so our goal is to help those 10 million people every year find cancer early. Now, to find cancer early for 10 million people a year, we probably need to screen 100 to 150 million people. We we find potential cancer in about 10% of our members. So to screen 100 million people a year, uh, we think is a, a huge endeavor and probably going to take, you know, a decade or two to achieve. And I kind of, I'm, I'm personally committed to Ezra for the rest of my career. In the next three to five years, I would hope we are making good progress towards that mission. And maybe in five years, we're screening at least a million people a year. And that's kind of a, um, a goalpost that we've set for ourselves by um, uh, by the, the fifth year of Ezra being in existence, uh, which, which will be in a couple of years. This has been great. Emmy, your team at Ezra is doing some really interesting work for cancer screening. I expect the insights that you've shared will be valuable to other AI companies. Where can people find out more about you online? Yeah, so about Ezra, they can go to Ezra.com um, and they can learn more about our technology, our service. They can sign up for an Ezra scan. 
And then uh, about me personally on uh, emigal.com, which is my first name, last name.com. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Heather. This was great. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I'm Heather Couture, and I hope you join, join me again next time for Impact AI.